Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Communication X. Today we are, yes, good point, Zuko. Today we are talking about paradox. Paradox, those really cool, impressive statements that you hear and you want to know more about. They're mysterious and confusing and they sound wrong at first and they might turn out to be true. Well, that's my definition. Here's the actual definition. A paradox, uh, it's a noun, is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. (laughs) A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement, meaning, yeah, it is a weird statement. It's a sentence that you weren't expecting to come together, something that's a bit confusing, but once you investigate it, it might turn out to be true, and it requires that investigation or explanation. It is a statement that garners discussion and further digging. And in our discussion of paradox, we're going to be talking about the paradox of public speaking today, which is something I'm really excited to share. Let's talk about a few examples of paradox. I am looking at Cheryl Strayed's little green book. It's called Brave Enough, which would be exactly how I describe myself most days, brave enough. Uh, Cheryl Strayed is incredible. She's an author, a speaker. Uh, She wrote Wild, which you should absolutely read. But before you read Wild, if you haven't yet, please, please read Tiny Beautiful Things. Uh, It is a series of essays that came from self-help column questions and requests that she wrote anonymously for years as Dear Sugar. People would write in these questions and she would answer them and her answers were always so personal and beautiful and helpful. It's an incredible book. Please read it. Uh, and if you can, definitely go see Tiny Beautiful Things on a on a stage. I got to see it when I was in Philadelphia and it rocked my heart out of my chest. There is nothing Nothing quite like seeing live theater and crying by yourself. (laughs) It is a spiritual experience, and I hope for all of you. All right, we're going to take a few examples of paradox out of Brave Enough before we get into this example or, or discussion, rather, of the paradox of public speaking. One that she has here, the first one, transformation doesn't ask that you stop being you. It demands that you find a way back to the authenticity and strength that's already been inside of you. You only have to bloom. Transformation doesn't ask that you stop being you. You only have to bloom. Now, this is paradoxical because when we think of transformation, especially in uh, our American minds, perhaps maybe our more Western minds, we think that transformation requires a lot of work and there are full billion dollar industries, billion dollar industries funding the idea that our transformation requires a lot of effort and a lot of stuff. I think that's the part I don't love. I'm into transformation requiring effort, like getting up at a certain time of day or changing something uh, about the way you operate, but I'm not into the way transformation is sold as something that you can buy through this powder or that shirt. And it's not just because I've fallen for it more than once. (laughs) It's because I want us to just bloom uh, the way Cheryl offers. So that's the paradox there is that it doesn't require major effort. What she's saying is it just requires you to bloom and to be. Next, you must love in order to be loved. You must be inclusive in order to feel yourself among the included. You must give in order to receive. This is one of my favorite thoughts that you have to do the thing that you want. If you have ever been 
hungry for affirmation, which if you're alive today, I imagine you've experienced. Try giving affirmation. I know, I know it's not the same as someone telling you you're beautiful. Honestly, it's better. If you if you are looking for affirmation, you are hungry for it, that may not just be you. Maybe someone else is feeling that too, and most likely they are. If you are looking for someone to compliment you, try complimenting someone else. It is an entire day changer. If you need patience, if you are having, who am I talking to? I'm talking to myself right now. Um, Katie, if you're having one of those days where everything seems like it's against you for whatever dramatic uh, Taylor Swift music video reason that you have come up with, whatever Fire Nation fuel you're riding off of, if it feels like everything's against you, be for everyone else in your way. (laughs) Root for the person who is tailgating you, then shifts lanes, then passes you. Root for them getting to where they want to go on time. If your coffee line is taking forever, then celebrate when the person in front of you gets theirs. Pay for the person behind you if you can. Do what you can to be there for other people if it feels like it's all against you. That is not something I do easily, but when I do it, I feel the thing that I'm looking for. There was this old nutrition sheet that I saw. It said something like, you know, when you're hungry for this, what you actually want is this. And it was like, if you're, you know, if you're hungry for, I'm going to do this wrong. Like if you're hungry for beef jerky, you actually want like protein so you could get it this way. Something like that. Essentially, if you're thinking that you want the thing that's not going to really help you, what you actually want is the healthier thing. And that is what this idea, this paradox is offering, that if you want to be loved, you have to love. If you want to feel included, you can include others and get there the same way. It just feels like a long road, but the drive is beautiful. All right, one more paradox. I got to tell you, flipping through these pages and and speaking someone else's words from a book, it feels a lot like when I used to do devotionals as a YMCA counselor. Uh, I started working as a YMCA counselor when I was 16. I was working two jobs. I worked at a library, and I worked as a YMCA counselor. Uh, I'll let you guess which one I was better at. <laughs> uh, though, But I do think those two first jobs together describe a lot about me, uh, working in a library and working as a YMCA counselor. And what I would do for these devotionals, which could feasibly be some of the first public speaking experience I really had, uh, there is no tougher audience than a group of middle schoolers who don't want to be there. Uh, devotionals, you know, they gave us these options where we could pull from a workbook or, you know, they said you could pull from different sources. And instead, I just started pulling from songs I was listening to and movies I watched and things that I experienced. And I would talk to those. And what I found is that when I talked about things that I loved, that tough audience of just tired middle schoolers who had just run the gamut of being someone's boyfriend or girlfriend in the morning and breaking up by the afternoon over and over again, full of you know soggy peanut butter sandwiches and me getting way too into dodgeball. <laughs> that group of kids, they would wake up because when they saw me awake, they would wake up. And I do know that to be true. But if you want your audience to come along with you, you've got to go along with them. And you've got to love what you're talking about enough for both of them as a bit of an invitation. Anyway, onward with our devotional. Our last paradox from Cheryl Strayed, the book, again, is brave enough. It is small. It is green. It is powerful. Like the Hulk, but handheld. Our last paradox is vulnerability is strength. 
Vulnerability is strength. That's a hard one for a lot of us, isn't it? I'm included in that. It's easy to say, it's easy to encourage other people to do it. And when you see other people do it, doesn't it feel good to celebrate it? But then when it's your turn, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. I'm so happy when you're vulnerable. I just, it brings tears to my eyes. It gives me that feeling of hearing um, an acoustic cover of a Beyonce song for the first time all over again. It is sweet tea on a summer day, but please don't make me do it. (laughs) I work hard to do a lot of things that make me feel strong and solid and powerful. Uh, I just really want to be able to stand on my own two feet, no matter the circumstances, and be able to throw an axe with devastating accuracy. And I want there to be... I don't know, Joan Jett playing in the background. (laughs) But vulnerability is strength. And I know that to be true because it's scary. And when I see other people do it, I admire it. And that is what I think our heart calls towards when we see strength. I admire you for doing that. And I'm excited when you do it. I am terrified when I do it. And that's why I know it requires strength. But it's a paradox because we think vulnerability and we think weak. We think weak, but that's not the truth. So those are some examples of paradoxes. If we want love, we got to love. Maybe we don't got to. Maybe it's an invitation. Yeah? Let's not put pressure on love. (laughs) The buoyancy of our existence. Let's not say you have to. But if you want love, you can love. That would be good. Vulnerability is strength. And to transform, you don't have to put in crazy amounts of different vitamins and you know, t-shirts that say, you know, like driven, successful queen. You don't have to get those. You can. I've bought and donated many of those. (laughs) I've bought and donated many of those. The paradox, a paradox is an invitation to discuss something that wakes something else up in us. It is a different way of viewing something that we have always thought to be true. It is not necessarily the opposite, but perhaps a third way. We thought it was always A or always B, but maybe there's another. And that's what I want to bring to your attention when we talk about the paradox of public speaking. The paradox of public speaking that I want to offer you today, while I'm sure there are several, the first foundational one is this. It takes a lot of work to be a natural. The paradox of public speaking is it takes a lot of work to be a natural. Why is this a paradox? Because you and I have both heard over and over again, uh, oh, that speaker was great. She's a natural. That presenter was incredible. They're a natural. That performance was just, oof, it was over the top in the way they spoke. He is a natural. We do that a lot, don't we? We see something created and produced and we declare that it just must have always been the way a tree or a river has always been just naturally elegant and beautiful and life-giving just a natural an organic thing and while it is organic self-created living dynamic it is not something that just lives on its own it did not just grow without being tended to even the trees and the rivers required effort and so does speaking. The reason why this paradox especially is so important to me 
is for a couple of reasons. The first is that when I hear someone call someone else a natural, what I hear is two fallouts, two major losses that I want to stop losing. <laughs> the first is that maybe in a training or in a workshop, one participant will, will speak and they'll do an incredible job. They'll sit down, they'll get feedback from their peers. And one of their peers will say, wow, you know, they, you are just a natural. And what I hear is in that person giving feedback, that other speaker, that other participant is that they are doing something that I just will never be able to do. They are doing something that I can't touch. They are a natural. That's just who they are. It makes public speaking a trait rather than a skill. And so for the person giving the feedback and saying, you're a natural, it's this limiting belief that says, I'm not going to be able to do that because that's just something that you can do, only you. Second, when I hear you're a natural, it is a, how do I say, it is a well-intentioned compliment. It's well-intentioned, but it ignores all of the work that that speaker put into their delivery style, their story creation, their organization, their tone changes, their gestures, their willingness to be vulnerable, which we know is a strength. Thank you, Cheryl Strayed. It takes away all of that and just says, wow, this is just how you always were, huh? You've just always been so good at this and you didn't have to put in work at all. When we call someone a natural, it does those two things. First, it tells us mentally that we can't do it. It's just who they are. Second, it makes public speaking a trait. It's just something you can do or you can't. And third, I know I said two things, but you know me, I get excited. Third, it ignores all of the work that the person put in to becoming the kind of speaker that they want to be. Yeah, each experience creates an opportunity for us to become more <laughs> of ourselves and as a speaker what i mean is that each time you are speaking in a zoom meeting in a microsoft teams meeting skype if your company is old school google hangouts if you're cooler <laughs> each time you are speaking in one of those these days you are practicing you are practicing every time you are in a group call with your friends every time you are sitting outside six feet apart sharing your stories of what you've been up to making jokes about your walks from your living room to your kitchen, you are practicing storytelling. You are practicing delivering to an audience. You are practicing reading the room to know how to better connect with the people listening to you. Everything is practice. When we see someone who delivers a beautiful story, just really knocks you, knocks you back, rattles your heart, that kind of speaker has been telling a lot of stories. And you might say, I don't know. Everyone's got someone specific, right? This person never speaks up, but then they got in front of us and they told this story and I can't even believe it. They're a natural. Maybe they speak to another group or maybe they write a lot. Maybe they read a lot. Everything can be part of the practice. When we take high quality presenting down to just being a natural or not, we make it something either that we can't reach or it's just something that someone is. And either of those eliminates the work. And what I am deeply, fully, just with every part of me in love with about public speaking is the work. I was not always that way. <laughs> Perhaps part of my, I don't know, vendetta 
against, at least campaign, against the idea of being a natural speaker uh, comes from the fact that when I started speaking, when I started doing presentations, when I started volunteering more often, uh, it was probably middle school. And then as I told you, it got into being a YMCA counselor um, in high school and then you know college, certainly. And then after, when I first got into it, I was told I was a natural just some really well-intentioned people and teachers trying to encourage me to, to go after something. But what I heard with all the maturity of a 12 year old was you're a natural parentheses. You don't have to practice anymore. <laughs> and you don't have to prepare and you can always wing it. Don't you just love those people? I'm better when I don't prepare. Bump that noise. We're all better when we prepare. We'll talk about that another day, but don't listen to that. <laughs> What I heard when I was told that I was a natural was that I was just good at this thing and it was part of who I was. And what that meant was that I, I just had to be and it would come out. And while there is some truth to authenticity, being comfortable, uh, when it comes to speaking, there's work. You have to be yourself as you practice. You have to be yourself as you prepare. You have to be yourself as you get feedback and apply it and try again. You have to look, perhaps, perhaps if I had looked at each presentation as an opportunity to practice, which I do now, but if I had done it earlier, maybe then, and only then would I be cool with saying, you know, that I didn't need to prepare and practice the way I believe I do now. I got rocked <laughs> when I was 23. Let's, let's range out, shall we? We just talked about me as a 12-year-old. From the time from 12 to 23, what is that, 11 years? The times that I spoke, I thought it just didn't really matter if I prepared or practiced. And I was always surprised when I got positive feedback. I know those two things don't make sense because I was told I was a natural. So somewhere in my head, I think I'm a prodigy. And I don't know if this happened to you all. Uh, there's this big thing in the late 90s, early 2000s where everyone wanted to be a prodigy. I hope it's still not a thing. I imagine it's got to be. But it was this idea that... You, like if you just sat down at the right instrument and picked it up, you'd be incredible at it without any work. It was just so instant gratification. Oh, if we all wanted to be a prodigy. I thought perhaps public speaking was my instrument. Yeah, and I had just been and I had just been sat down in front of it and now I was natural. I didn't have to practice anymore. This was just a part of who I was. Boom. Cash money. <laughs> and in the eleven years from twelve to twenty-three, I spoke a lot. Uh, I did a lot of different things. You know, I was in youth group. I already told you about being a YMCA counselor. Uh, I spoke in high school. I spoke in college. And I didn't practice. But I, again, when I come back to this idea that I was always surprised when I got positive feedback because there was something in me that was so terrified that I would be seen, that would be found out, that maybe someone would rip the rug out from me and say, ha, you thought you were a natural but you suck at this. And also you just suck because you thought this was a part of you and it's not, it's not a part of you. Didn't you hear the way you stuttered, how fast you talked, how much your joke didn't land? Oh, I was terrified because I wasn't practicing. I wasn't preparing. I wasn't ready. If someone called me out and said I sucked, I would have been like, yeah, probably. Thank you for finding, I just, the pressure, the mounting pressure of needing to be a natural was overwhelming because to be a natural was to imagine myself as being you know, Michael Jordan, every time I walked out onto the court and just hitting those threes, even when I had the flu game six, you understand, but I wasn't Michael Jordan. I was a kid trying to learn something about myself. 
Uh, but feeling like I needed to be a natural meant I felt like I wasn't allowed to make mistakes because if I made mistakes, that would mean I wasn't a natural. See where I'm going? So I hit 23. I hit 23. Uh, and at this age, I have graduated college. I spoke at graduation. I was student body president. I had a really big internship. I got a slamming global corporate job. And I had just given a TEDx talk by 23. <laughs> uh, I was checking off stuff on my on my dreams list, my goal bucket before my frontal lobe was formed. <laughs> which meant that when I walked into situations, I thought I pretty much had it in the bag, which I mean, fair fair why I would think that it was wrong but I I get where I was coming from I want to forgive my past self for not knowing better yet (laughs) when I was given the opportunity to become a trainer in diversity and inclusive leadership I got to go to a train the trainer session which is where a professional facilitator uh, leads a two-day workshop for other people who want to be certified in the training and so once you get the certification then you can lead it I'm in that training um you know, I the memory's fuzzy, but I do think they actually showed my TED Talk in the training, which was so wild. And, uh, okay, so they give us this opportunity to practice the, the part of the training that we would like to give. I don't practice, obviously. Like, would, like can we be real together, you and me listening to this? Would you have practiced after all that that I told you about? I, I didn't. I wish I had because I got up there and I started speaking, just doing my thing, riffing, obviously wasn't prepared. And then we get done, we get applause. And then they're supposed to give us feedback. And the feedback is, you know, it's fine. It's kind of tepid, more neutral than I would like it to be. No one's talking about how much they love me, which is painful to hear because I have based how much I value myself and how good I am at this thing that I'm supposed to be naturally good at which is, um, what's the word? Unhealthy. That was unhealthy. (laughs) We're getting some feedback. My unhealthy codependency on this art form are coming through. And then one of the other trainees gives me feedback that changes me and rattles me. She says, you know, you guys did a pretty good job up there. It was me and a a partner. She said, y'all did all right. Uh, But Katie, you were, you were going so fast. I couldn't really understand what you were saying. And you were making so many jokes. And I didn't know if you were making them because you actually meant them and you wanted us to join you or if you were just nervous. And it made it hard to, to listen to you and honestly hard to, to trust that you knew what you were talking about. Oh, it got me. I had never gotten feedback like that before. Maybe once someone had told me that I should practice more and I was like, yeah, we'll see. Um, I had never had someone directly say, hey, you're not as good at this as you think you are. Maybe you'll pass, you'll be okay, but you're not, you're not what you think you are. You, Empress, have no clothes on. No one had done that. And I'm grateful for that trainee that I was alongside every single time I speak because she taught me that I need to practice and that I need to prepare and that being told I'm a natural, being likable, whatever, it doesn't mean anything. 
if I'm not ready to give information that's going to be helpful to other people. I wish I could tell you I got that feedback and I just immediately got to work, but there is a mourning period that has to go when part of your worldview changes, when part of your self-image changes especially. So I had to mourn it. I had to think maybe I that worst fear, that worst fear, someone pulled the rug out from under me, you're not actually a natural at this, happened. It happened. <laughs> I know she didn't mean it that way, but what she was telling me was that I was not what I thought I was. I was not someone who could just stand up in front of a room and go. In fact, I don't think any of us are, but that's for another day. (laughs) Yeah, she's changed my life. So from then on out, I just started to put some emphasis on my own practice. What would it mean to look at communicating and look at presentations and public speaking as work? What would it mean to honor this thing that I loved? That was the first thing I had to accept, that I wasn't... It wasn't about me. If we could take my ego out of it, I still wanted to speak as often as possible, and I loved it. What would it mean to honor that love? What would it mean to honor the work? And for me, that meant preparing before I spoke. (laughs) And it wasn't always major preparation. It was sometimes just writing down bullet points before I went into a meeting. It was listening when other people spoke and picking up on things that I liked that they did so that I could do them too. It was allowing myself to see each presentation as an experiment. What worked? What didn't? How did this audience react? What feedback do they have? And I just began to ardently seek feedback. And what I learned uh, through a lot of different modes and methods was that if you just ask people for positive feedback or really neutrally, like, hey, how did I do? Those, yeah, you did fine. You did great. Yeah, I really like you a lot. Yeah, you did awesome. It's easy to give that feedback. What you're actually looking for is, hey, what did I miss? What was a point I didn't dive into enough? Or what was something that I overdid? How did this specific joke work? Uh, Did this story make sense? You want to ask for really specific feedback that invites the feedback giver to provide you with some constructive commentary. It's not really polite society to to criticize someone after they've given a presentation. But if you ask them, hey, I I need to work on this. What can I do differently next time? What did I not do enough of? What did I miss? Frame it that way so they know that they're allowed. And that is the work that goes into being a natural. We are not trying to be confident public speaking terminators who... (laughs) hit the target every time. We don't need to be perfect. And that's the other interesting part about this idea that being a natural takes work. And also maybe if I could contradict myself for a second, being a natural takes no work at all. Also only in the sense that it takes the work of being yourself. That was inception level. That was four levels of natural needing work and not needing work. So what I tell you first, that being a natural requires a lot of work and then being a natural requires no work except the work of understanding, knowing, accepting, loving yourself, which is the greatest work of all. So again, yes, we circled back. We circled back. Being a natural takes work. It is the work of freeing yourself from expectation. It is the work of allowing yourself to be yourself in front of people. In fact, perhaps the most natural speakers 
are the ones that mess up in front of you. Maybe they use vocal fillers. Maybe their hands don't always work the way you want them to. Maybe their gestures don't always land. Maybe they're a little distracting. Maybe their jokes come out a little bit too fast. Maybe they forget a point and remind you at the end. Maybe they drop something as they speak. Maybe that is being a natural. Could that be the new natural that we accept? A human being a human in front of you? Could that be the strength that is vulnerability that Cheryl Strayed told us about? Perhaps being a natural is the greatest work of all because it requires practice, not just of the art form, which public speaking is. And again, I mean public speaking as in any video call you're on right now, any story you're telling your friends or your family members or your partners, any discussion you're having with multiple people, that's all speaking publicly, isn't it? Isn't it? When we think about this idea of being a natural, there is the work that goes into putting the performance aside, taking off the theoretical mask, metaphorical, theoretical, whatever, (laughs) taking that off, letting yourself be yourself as you speak. It takes a lot of work to be a natural. And for some of us, that work is realizing that we don't have to be perfect. And here is where the grace comes in. The idea of grace, meaning that when we mess up, we are still accepted. That when we exist, we do so in the unmerited favor of those around us. That it's this condition that we can't ask for. It just is. And we can't return it. It just is. If you think about having a payment or, or you know, money due, there's a grace period. Uh, which is where it's this official period where you could pay uh, within a certain amount of time, even if you're late. So it's that idea of having a, you know, a three-day grace period where you can mess up, still get it in, and still be okay. The grace in public speaking and the extra element of the paradox is that you can be yourself and you can mess up and you don't have to be perfect and, and, You can mess up. Let me emphasize that one. You can mess up and make a mistake, learn from it, and try again next time. It is scary to speak in front of people. It is stressful. It's difficult. It's tiring. It's a draining of yourself for people. And the grace is that you can do it with your heart as yourself vulnerably, with no shield and no sword. Get up there and speak. And let that be what was needed to be done rather than doing it perfectly. That's what we're getting at. That's the work. That is the work that goes into being a natural. And that's what's so confusing. Because I know you've seen people that you thought in your head, wow, this is just what they do. They're a natural. And perhaps they do speak all the time. And that's where they get their practice in. That's where they're getting their Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours in. Absolutely. But it's not just something that happens. It's something you dedicate yourself to because you love the thing that you're doing. Andrea Gibson is one of my favorite poets. I found them through Tumblr, as I find a lot of things. (laughs) And uh, then I saw them live with a friend of mine in Asheville, and it was incredible, truly incredible. And I recently saw that um, 
Andrea Gibson, sometimes called Andrew Gibson, sometimes called Gibbs, uh, did a online reading. So we got to pay like, I don't know, something absurd, like $10, which is not nearly enough. Poetry is um, priceless. So it's only paid $10 regardless. And we got to tap into a Zoom call and watch them perform poems from their living room. And it was incredible. <laughs> and you're just in your living room, you know, like your hair is wet from a shower, you're eating banana chips. This is just me specifically. And you're just watching this person perform poetry and it just gets you. It just really gets you. And in that online discussion, uh, in between poems, uh, they would ask people to ask them questions. And so people got to ask and someone asked about public speaking fear. How do you do this thing if you're nervous, basically? And Andrea Gibson said one of my favorite things, which is, I'm not a natural. I just love this art form. They are a professional poet, both in writing and spoken word. I mean, talk to me about what is stronger through vulnerability than being a poet and reading and speaking your poems to life on stage. I mean, honestly, (laughs) could there be something more strong through vulnerability? And they said, I am not a natural. I'm not a natural at all. I just love this art form. And in fact, one of the other things that uh, Andrea Gibson said was, um, sometimes to combat the nerves, what I'll do is I'll challenge them. And I'll say, okay, that's fine. I'm nervous to speak in front of people. I get it. I get it. Um, Could you make it scarier? (laughs) Could you make this thing scarier? Uh, What if everyone was holding signs that talked about how much they hate me? What if everyone in the audience was someone that I dated before? What if uh, the lights just don't work? Could you make this thing scarier? And in that, they felt like the challenge of the fear was like, okay, I can handle that much. Can you make it harder for me? Can you make this more difficult? (laughs) I just really, really loved that. Especially coming from someone who said, I'm not a natural. I just love this thing. And love makes us brave. Love makes us brave. You got to love what you're talking about. And if you can't love your subject, because maybe you are just presenting to your team about like, I I always go with like an IT system update. That's just because that is not my favorite thing, but it could be yours. And if it is, love it, please. (laughs) But if you're talking about something that is just standard operating, here's what we're changing. Here's what we're doing. Here's the new process. Maybe you don't need to love the subject, but you can love the way it helps your team. Maybe you can care about the people that you work with. And in that, talk to them about how this is going to make their day easier. Maybe you can infuse your presentation with discussion about how they're doing and what they need more support on. Find something you care about. Start from there. That is the work as well. Whatever you do, just know whenever you see someone killing it at a presentation, someone just rocking your heart out of your chest they worked on that. Celebrate that work. And know that just as they can work to be that kind of speaker, you can work to become your kind of speaker. Figure out what your work is and go do that. You got this.